Dr. Ruth Roberts was raised in Anchorage, Kentucky. She earned her undergraduate degree in biology at Warren Wilson College and her veterinary degree from North Carolina State University in 1990. After working in a few small animal practices after graduation, she purchased a solo doctor practice in 1993. Because of some health challenges, she sold the practice in the midst of doing training at the Chi Institute. She started a mobile practice, seeing patients for holistic care in a converted mobile veterinary clinic. In 2009, she opened a brick and mortar integrated medicine practice, which expanded to employ two other veterinarians. During that time, she started doing telemedicine, focusing on creating diet and supplement plans for her patients. In 2016, she sold the brick and mortar practice and has been doing telemedicine ever since. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Ruth Roberts as we discuss her education, exposure to holistic medicine, training in holistic medicine, and how she's used that training to practice in some unique ways, both in person and remotely. We also discuss her upcoming webinar on telemedicine for CIVT. Dr. Roberts, thanks for joining me today. Neil, Dr. Neil Sivial, thank you so much for inviting me along. So where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town called Anchorage, Kentucky, which is not too far out of Louisville. And so we had lots and lots. When I was a kid, we actually did have a lot of horses and still farm animals in the community, as well as dogs and cats. And at that time, you know, they were, there was the neighborhood dog that and the neighborhood cat that everybody knew and fed and, and loved. So it was a very different world as far as interacting with animals than, than the one we're living in currently. When did you decide that you want to be a veterinarian? When I was 12 years old. Um, and hilariously, my other career choice was to be a proctologist. <laughs> but, I <just laughs> but I decided veterinarian was probably more, more appealing long term. Oh, man. So uh, where did you do your undergrad? I went to a little college in uh, Swannanoa, North Carolina called Warren Wilson College. And that was a wonderful place for me to be because it had a work study program and had a working farm with a cow herd, pig herd. And so literally, I got to understand what the farmer's life was like and what these food animals lives were like in a much kinder setting from the ground up. So that was uh, that was a great experience. Got a Bachelor of Biology there and uh, ended up working for a guy named Ben Harrington at Apex Veterinary Clinic in just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. And Dr. Harrington ended up really being one of the founding members of the North Carolina State University Veterinary School. So it was wonderful to gain his uh, views on what was important in veterinary medicine. And then I think it probably didn't, was not a detractor when I, when I actually was sitting in front of him for the uh, interview part of the application process. Did you have other schools you were interested in or was, was North Carolina going to be it? North Carolina was it because it, it was wonderful because I had been in North Carolina at, at Warren Wilson College. I now had in-state tuition, which was, you know, by today's standards, it was just laughable. It was, I think, $1,700 for the year. Yeah. Tuition was a lot less back then. We're, we're of similar ages and yeah, yeah, it's just amazing how it's changed over time. So, sure. um, was, uh, how was vet school for you? Did you enjoy it? 
It was it was kind of a mixed bag. I went there wanting to wanting to do a mixed animal pros, uh, practice and also incorporate holistic medicine, but in the middle of of I don't know the second and third year when we started doing um, you know farm farm calls and things of that nature, it became abundantly clear that the MBAs were the ones that were going to succeed in in farm practice. Uh, there was so much agribusiness that had started that really had become predominant. Um, I kind of switched gears and, and focused on more companion animals, so horses, dogs, cats, um, and then. So that was a lot of fun. I was the president of the class, and it was it was an interesting time because I think my class, and I finished in 1990. I think my class was the last one that had fewer women than men, and so that's when that shift really really had started. What what sort of um, how did you develop an interest in holistic medicine before school? I just we well part of part of what I was uh, around in it in college was there was a huge number of Cherokee Indians and so they were still practicing herbal medicine and I saw them do things with their animals that just were astonishing uh, and and then also I think I had a a mentor that had studied with Ibis and become certified in acupuncture. So he was definitely way ahead of his time. And the things I saw him do with needles, I mean, he really, uh, he had dachshunds and he had, we had a lot of clients with dachshunds and we had quite a number that he was able to kind of retrieve from paralysis and get them back up and moving and walking. So, I mean, it was just astonishing. And, And that's something that, you know, Western medicine couldn't always do. That must have been a great experience to have that as a, you know, going into vet school or during vet school to have that sort of exposure. Ah, oh, it was. It was. Did you have in the official, in the curriculum at all, was there any um, expo- any holistic medicine then presented? No, really. And it was, it was really sort of mentioned in passing in some of the classes, but but clearly frowned upon. So at that point, NC State was was focusing on teaching us to be good researchers um, as well as clinicians. And so it, uh, you know, what they were focusing on was traditional medicine. And, and again, this is very early on when complementary medicine, as we called it then, was just starting to, to come to the forefront. Yeah, your mentor must have been really on the forefront to have been Ivis trained at that point. He really, I mean, Dr. Bill Martin was just amazing. I mean, he just, and he had such a talent for it too. He could look at things and figure out the needle, you know, the point selection and and know that this was going to work for this animal or know that it wasn't. So he he really was amazing. Was that exposure that's in seeing how he practiced that were you able to kind of hold that and carry it through until you got trained? Not really. So, so what happened to me is I finished veterinary school, got out in practice, and then purchased a practice in 1993. So three years after it, I'd finished, and I just got caught in the in the daily grind of of surviving a solo practice. And it wasn't until 2005 when when I was beginning to have some major health issues myself, and and my my. 
my soul dog for life, Arnold, he, he was an English setter. I just love that guy. He was so full of life and such a clown. But as he got to about 16 and a half, he was still in there and still wanted to be here. But I just didn't have any other tools to help him feel better and to enjoy his life. And so he is really what prompted me to start training with the Chi Institute in 2005 for acupuncture and then go on to do the herbology program, food therapy and and things of that nature. And then, you know, and then my own health, because I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and IBS. I saw what happened to many of my clients that had gotten those diagnoses. And it, it wasn't pretty. I mean, essentially, with for people that had fibromyalgia, over time, they were being turned into junkies. I mean, they, you know, at that point, the really nasty opioids weren't there, weren't available, but things like hydrocodone, um, and, you know, codeine, things of that nature. It just, it was awful. I saw, I saw really lovely people just turn into zombies, and I, I knew I did not want that. So that's what prompted me to seek alternative health care for myself. And I was fortunate to find a functional medicine practitioner in, in, my, in Charleston, South Carolina, where I was working. Was it difficult to have that diagnosis and, and even just get that holistic treatment being a solo practice owner? It, it, it was. It was a bit better than I had finally uh, found some relief veterinarians that were able to work for me consistently. And uh, at the end of the day, I, in 2006, I decided to um, just sell the practice and take care of myself. Um, and then once I was a bit better, uh, in 2008, I started doing only holistic medicine, only traditional Chinese medicine from a, a mobile office, which was just a ball. So you did, did <clears throat> you did house calls then? Yeah. And, and really what I did more was, uh, you know, I would go to, to certain areas and people would, you know, would come and, and have their appointments there with me in the band. So it not so much a house call practice, but sort of more uh, focusing focusing in two or three locations around the area. All right, this is interesting. So, what what um, sort of vehicle did you use? I bought one of the. I used Born Free Office Veterinary Office. It was perfect, and it, uh, you know, so I kind of remodeled it a little bit to be not so much of a uh, you know surgery dentistry, do it all in one spot thing, but more to where we could have conversations with my clients and uh, my clients and I and their pets. So we could have three or four people in there talking about this animal um, and giving it, a, you know, having enough time to really do this animal justice, taking time to do all of the modalities that would be of use to talk with the owner about how to cook for their pets, herbs to use, things they could do at home. So it really was a ball. I've toyed with this idea and I just love uh, hearing this from you because uh, you're being able to kind of confirm the things that I I thought it'd be like. So you would set up for the day and you'd have folks come at specific times and the others would just be waiting, I assume, outside while you did your work inside. Exactly. Your next appointment would be waiting. Exactly. And, and, and I, you know, I finally was a little bit smarter and, and, started putting 15 minutes on the end of each appointment. And then the appointments were an hour apiece, but I'd put 15 minutes on the end of each appointment so that I could take a break, refresh myself, 
you know, go to the bathroom, all those normal things, and kind of bring myself back down to uh, sort of a starting level, if you will, um, so that when that next person and that next animal came through the door, I was back to being tranquil and ready to hear everything that they were prepared to say, if that makes sense. Oh, total sense. That's great. So did you have an assistant or was it just you? Just me. When it, was, you were, it was great. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. So when you were doing your uh, training at Chi, then you had you didn't have a brick and mortar to worry about. Um, how was it to kind of bring that, you know, go to a session, come back? Uh, did you feel like you were without just being by yourself, you didn't have people to bounce ideas off of, or how did that, how was it working, putting it back into practice then right away? Well, it it was kind of two, twofold. So to start with, with the acupuncture training, I was still in clinical practice. And when I started teaching people to home cook, I was still in an extremely busy clinical practice. So, you know, I would, but I still didn't really have anybody to talk to in Charleston, South Carolina. Now I think there are 10 veterinarians that are doing at least acupuncture in some version of, of uh, alternative medicine. But at that point, there, there was one other practitioner, and I tried to kind of form a relationship with her, but unfortunately, it, it just didn't work. So uh, really, my classmates at Chi, um, through the message boards and the instructors, became the people that I could bounce ideas off of. And then as I continued to do more training with them, and I was in that sort of mobile clinic setting. Uh, again, my classmates and my instructors became my network, which was just marvelous. It's really good to ha- for the schools to offer that sort of um, communication, you know, that you can stay in touch with, with people in between sessions so it can really kind of cement your, your learning and keep you motivated. It's so critical. And, and I think the other thing was most of the, most of my classmates were, you know, in the same situation I was at that point, I was 40 and change and looking at veterinary practice, like, holy smokes, what am I doing? I'm running myself ragged. And, and then what's, you know, what's going to happen at the end of the day. And so I think a lot of us were in that same mindset of, do I really want to keep living like this? What can I do to make my life better so that I can continue to serve my clients and patients as well? Yeah. At least you were in a situation where, you know, you didn't have partners or a boss to uh, kind of put it some, any sort of limitations on what you could do in the clinic. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not good at that. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've always had, I, I had, a, you know, the first three years of my career, I was employed by two different veterinarians and both of them really wanted to be out of the practice. So um, I didn't, I really kind of ran the show with very little input, but, but yeah, you're right. Because I know a lot of veterinarians will go and take the training and then they get back to trying to do it in the real world. And their bosses are saying, uh, no, you gotta, you gotta do this appointment in seven minutes. And there's just no way to do a thorough history. I mean, there's no way to do good Western medicine in seven minutes to, to me. Um, I think really, you know, we have to do a better job at listening to our clients and that kind of a structure just doesn't permit that. Yeah. You really, you really set yourself up for success by having that kind of business arrangement at the time you went to school. Did you enjoy going down to cheat? I did. It was great. Uh, you know, it took me 
again, when I was still had the, the very busy practice, it took me out of that setting, uh, really helped me in, immerse myself in a different experience, a different life, and, and the ability to have enough time to reconsider what really is important in my life, both personally and in the professionally. So it was awesome. It, and it was such a great group of like-minded people. Uh, and, and it was in, you know, the earlier days before Dr. Shea had uh, been able to build all of the new buildings and, and the, the uh, you know, the big building for Jingtang to produce the herbs and things of that nature. So it was a much more intimate setting, if you will. That's an important point you made about, you know, the getting away and getting down there and just having that time to reflect on where you're at and, and where you want to take it, you know, take yeah, your practice. And I think that's, that's something that we as veterinarians are not good at doing is taking time for ourselves to step out of the daily grind and say, okay, this is not really great, but what else can I do? And so I think what happens for most of us is we say, oh, this is not good, but we just continue to burn it out. And and I think that, that if we had the idea or the mindset of taking sabbaticals, um, and they don't have to be six months like many other professions take, but just even three or four days uh, and turning off all the things that ding and focusing on something that engages your mind in a different way and having enough time in the afternoon or evening to to take advantage of that different mindset to really really think through things i think that we would the profession would be so much better off you're absolutely right you know i think about uh, when i did my training and even now going to continuing education conferences and you know you see those docs who have to scurry out of the room and take a call from the office or from a client and think you know how unfortunate that, you know, you just can't divorce yourself from that for even a a day or a couple of days, you know, to give yourself some space to think a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I think it really is critical because we're 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 losing our I mean, when I finished veterinary school in nineteen ninety, I think we were the veterinarians were the sixth most revered professionals. And and I, I think we're still in the top ten, but but it's just like it's so hard anymore to to really make that contact personally with your clients. And I mean, you know, the, the corporations are what they are. And that's unfortunately, you know, they're a solution for, for many of us as we get older trying to sell our practices. But I think they've really commoditized the profession to the point where it's difficult to maintain relationships with with your clients. You bet. So how did your practice evolve then? You were in that mobile practice and you mentioned cooking. Yeah. So what happened was uh, I started seeing that many of my colleagues were telling clients, well, we've done everything we can. And, um, you know, so we'll just leave them on these depot injections and see what happens. And in reality, many of them hadn't really done adequate diagnostics in the conventional Western medicine sense. And I had begun to study functional medicine, and it became super clear to me that to really, really make this all work, I needed an office and I needed the ability to have diagnostics and uh, x-ray, ultrasound, 
laboratory equipment, things of that nature, and and some staff to help make this work. And so that um, in 2009, I guess it was, I committed to uh, renting a building and purchasing it down the road. And about a month later, the market crashed. <laughs> so it was a uh, it was a little a little scary for a bit, and I think everybody kind of held their breath. And then, but we we went through and got this thing open in in uh, February of '09, and started seeing clients, and we started making such a big difference for many pets with chronic disease that it, it we are you know things grew by word of mouth and we started seeing more and more people and it just it turned into a very busy practice and i kind of, you know I, I had the idea right but i let it go i didn't continue to maintain enough personal time to keep myself well uh, so it it turned into a crazy busy practice i ended up hiring two other veterinarians and uh, but it was just that practice to start with was just so much fun because we were the five staff members I had working for me. We were all so invested in this vision of being able to integrate care from across many different modalities. And the changes that we saw for the pets we were taking care of was just astonishing. Were you doing traditional care then along with or just just holistic uh, all so truly integrative. So traditional, yeah. uh, uh, functional medicine, uh, acupuncture, Chinese herbs, home cooking was always the sort of the basis for everything else. And then, you know, we, whatever else I could find that was truly useful. So things like uh, cold laser therapy, and I, we invited a chiropractor to come in and work with us, things of that nature. So... How did the how was it getting acceptance for clients at that point to uh, to do cooking? Well, I mean, we had some. So the weird thing about the home cooking was about the time the first pet food recall happened. Um, I had an experience with my own dog that had bacterial endocarditis, and she would not let me put needles in, or she would eat the herbs. Um, so you know. Still during my training at Chi, the Dr. Shea suggested several types of recipes that would benefit her. And it was just astonishing. And I think what happened is that these clients, you know, I had that story to tell them that, that literally I watched a one centimeter lesion on her heart valve disappear down to three millimeters. But I think the other thing is that they had tried all the prescription diets. They had tried all of the novel proteins and this and that and the other. So at this point, they were so desperate to not see their pets suffer that they were game for anything. And once they figured out it wasn't that hard to do, because I, I tend to uh, help create recipes that will create large batches so that you know people can scoop, scoop food out twice a day or however many times they feed the pet. And feed that way. They found it was not that much harder. It wasn't that much more expensive than the specialty diets, but the results were just astonishing for them. So once they once they went, they couldn't they couldn't go back to uh, prepackaged foods. So what was the evolution of that practice then? So let's see. So we opened it in '09, and by I mean it just 2010. It just 
started taking off like crazy. And I hired a veterinarian in 14 and another veterinarian in 15 started backing off because unfortunately I had I have a bad habit of working too hard and running myself too thin. So I had started having some health issues again and unfortunately had a huge exposure to mold within the practice. And um, it unfortunately created some pretty profound cognitive issues for me. So in 2016, um, I was in the process of selling it to uh, one of these roll-up companies. And uh, about a month after we finally closed the deal, it became abundantly clear that I had to stop practicing. And they were very gracious in understanding that. Um, but it just, I couldn't. Um, I, I just didn't have the, uh, the bandwidth mentally to be able to continue to practice. And I was missing things I shouldn't have. So, so yeah. So, where did your life take you after? So that's uh, so we stayed uh, we stayed around South Carolina for another year or so, and realized that as long as I was in high humidity, I was never going to get better. So, literally, we sold everything in um, April of two thousand and eight or June of two thousand and eighteen, and hit the road. And, and I should say too, I had started sort of an online business in two thousand and thirteen, and kept working with that. And and the goal of the business was to teach people how to cook for their pets and provide them with supplements. Because at that point I'd already had, uh, you know, 30 or 40 clients literally from around the world that were contacting me and, and wanted help with their pets that they couldn't get uh, where they were living. Many of them in the U S but, but many around the globe as well. So at that point I'd already started a telemedicine practice, if you will, and uh, from there, that's where once once we went out west, got into lower humidity area, my brain started coming back online. And so I was more and more able to do sort of second opinion work, helping people formulate diets to to specifically for pets with uh, food sensitivities and then also supplement plans that would benefit the pet. And that's really what I've been doing ever since. And it's just, it's been wonderful because, because my wife will hit me over the top of the head if I work more than about uh, three or four days a week. So she keeps me in line. Um, And it's, it's been so fulfilling to be able to help people from a distance. So it, it, it took me in a place I never thought I'd go. I'm thinking of just the technology change changes since 2013 that must have taken a lot of effort and and money to set up an online presence that you know in in 2013 you know what's really astonishing in 13 it did take a lot of money and effort and now uh if you had to start from ground zero again it would you know you could get this done for less than three thousand bucks so so the technology changes have been fabulous as far as being able to make the business work and things of that nature. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot more than I anticipated, but it's been worth it at the end of the day. I bet. So when you're consulting, is it a combination of phone and, and email? How does it work? Usually I just do zoom calls with people and then that way, you know, I can see them eyeball to eyeball um, and they can show me some of the things that are going on with their pets if they've got skin lesions. And I can, you know, see the pet eyeball to eyeball. So 
you know, what, what somebody writes down as is what is going on is very different when you see the pet. And while I can't do a physical examination, obviously, it does give me a better idea about kind of where the pet is. Does it still have a lot of chi or energy left in it? Does it have enough vitality to to get through certain types of treatments? Um, so it really helps me help the owner know what is what is going to be in the pet's best interest. <laughs> I'm sure you could have never predicted in 1990 that this is what you'd be doing. Holy smokes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, it's astonishing. It really is. So what do you see as your future? Do you see you doing, do you see yourself doing this for a while? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is at a comfortable level. What I really, really, really would love to be able to do is start teaching other veterinarians how to incorporate some of these modalities, you know, the simple ones, home cooking, not be afraid of it, use things like the animal diet formulator so that you know you're creating complete and balanced diets and and learn supplements that can provide benefit in situations where our other options are steroids or other immunosuppressive drugs. Oh, that's great. Hey, um, hopefully we're going to get this out. You've got a webinar coming up for CIVT to talk about telemedicine, and I'm really looking forward to that. I think, you know, as we see doctors of our vintage heading toward retirement, you know, there's just, we need to think of options for how to continue our practices and how to, like you said, spread that knowledge a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think too, for even for the younger veterinarians, it's so critical. I mean, in, on the human side, it became abundantly clear that telemedicine, I mean, they were already working on it with teledoc and things like that, but it became abundantly clear that telemedicine actually made physicians practice lives better. It made it better and easier for their patients. And I think there's a lot that we can do within veterinary medicine to, again, improve our quality of life, our kind of take some of that craziness out of our day and make it easier and more convenient for our clients because this these options are just getting started. Well, Ruth, it's been great. I think this is a good place to stop. Um, it's been great talking to you. I am really looking forward to your uh, to your webinar and just hearing more about how you how you do the telemedicine thing. Many thanks, Neil, and I'm too. I'm really excited to share this knowledge. All right. Hope to talk to you soon. Many thanks. Cheers. All right. Bye bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.